Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Should you detoxify before getting pregnant? As a midwife, functional medicine doctor specializing in integrative women's health, I get this question a lot from women who come to see me and also who meet me at conferences. And it's a really important question. And I have to tell you, if I had been asked this question 10 years ago, I might have actually said, no, your body knows exactly what to do. Trust your body. But a lot's happened in the last 10 years that's giving me pause to reconsider and actually work with quite a number of women to detoxify before they do get pregnant. Let me explain why. But before I do, I just want to remind you, if you love what this podcast is bringing to you, if you feel like it's helpful, you enjoy listening, please remember to head over to iTunes and give me a great review because iTunes loves the love. And when you love the podcast, it means a lot more women are going to get this information. So let's talk about detoxing and pregnancy and whether it's important, whether it's important for you, and if you're going to do it, how to do it safely. So this generation of kids, our kids, or your kids, mine are a little bit older, but my kids' kids have been called Generation RX. And they're called Generation RX because they are taking so many medications for so many medical problems. It's really crazy. One of the most famous pediatric toxicology physicians who studies the effects of environmental toxins on kids. He's the one who kind of discovered the problems with lead in kids and how lead in our environment was causing kids in the U.S. to have lower IQs. So this was in the late, in the 1970s. He's the one who really got the lead out, so to speak, of our environment as much as possible for our kids. Philip Landrigan, he calls what our kids are going through now the new pediatric morbidity. Morbidity means disease. Our kids are facing alarming and increasing rates of allergies, eczema, learning disabilities, ADHD, obesity, type 2 diabetes, which used to be an adult-only problem and now is becoming increasingly prevalent in our kids autoimmune diseases, and even cancer. And autism, when I first started in integrative medicine in the early 80s, was something that we really had hardly ever heard of. And around 20 years ago, the rates were less than or around one in 10,000 kids. And now the latest data from the Centers for Disease Control suggests that one in 68 children has a diagnosis of being autistic. What's really frightening is that the next generation's life expectancy, so this generation of kids, is the first that's ever thought to going to be less than our own. So it's the first generation ever where the kid's life expectancy is predicted to be less than the parents. It's really scary, I know. For at least three decades, in the same time frame that all of these illnesses have been on the rise in kids... Evidence from environmental health studies has led to a growing agreement among scientists and many health professionals who are paying attention that environmental toxins are playing almost the lead role, if not the lead role, in the incidence and prevalence of these diseases and conditions in the U.S., particularly amongst the health of our kids. And scientists estimate that at least 5% of all childhood cancers are just as a result of chemical exposures, and that a 30% of asthma is just a result of chemical exposures. So the way I think of it is that our kids are the canaries in the coal mine. The canaries in the coal mine is a reference to when miners used to go down into coal mines, when they got to a a deep enough level of digging, 
noxious or toxic gases would come up from the coal mine. And if the miners were down in there, they would pass out and possibly even um, die from inhalation of these gases. So what they discovered was they would put these little canaries into cages and send the canaries down into the coal mine. And if the canaries died when they got to that depth, it was a sign that it was a danger to the miners. And the canaries were just more sensitive. So this was a really quick test. And so when I think of our kids, it's like they're just so much more sensitive to the environmental exposures that we are for a variety of reasons that have to do with their size, their metabolism, their ability to detoxify, the amount of fat per body weight that they have compared to adults makes them more apt to absorb and have these toxins linger along longer in their systems. Also, because they're still developing so many of their important body functions. So for example, kids' nervous systems aren't even fully developed till they're 21, year old, 21 years old. So a lot of development is happening in childhood. And when they're getting these exposures, it can have a big impact on the proper development of a variety of systems from their nervous systems to their immune systems, to their cognitive functioning and more. So, you know, I was sitting on my sofa one night and I was preparing the course that I offer allergy epidemic, which is part of Healthiest Kids University. And it's a course for parents who want to learn to help prevent and reverse some of the damages of environmental exposures in their kids, particularly allergies, eczema, asthma, and autoimmune conditions. It's a course I offer in the spring. And so I was sitting on the sofa and I was talking with my husband about some of the statistics I was including. And he said, babe, aren't you going to scare parents when you tell them all these things that I've just told you? And I said, yeah, I mean, it is scary. And I don't want to say things in a way that's going to scare anybody. You know, I don't want to scare you guys who are listening to me. And at the same time, I was thinking, you know what, if I was a mom in a movie theater and somebody smelled smoke, would I want them to wait until they saw fire to yell fire? No, I would want them to yell fire and get us out of the theater quicker. And that was what I said to my husband that night on the sofa. I said, I can't be afraid to yell fire. I just want to yell fire without raising a panic, right? We don't want everyone to go rushing out of the theater, but it is really important as parents that we also be aware of what's going on. Because if we're not aware how else can we prevent it? And the good news is that so much of what I'm talking with you today can be prevented. And that's what I want you to have the tools to do. And I want you to have the tools to do it as upstream as possible. So as early on in the process of when these problems start, I want you to be able to prevent them or nip them in the bud. And so what we know now is that it's very clear that many health problems, even health problems that we develop as adults, like diabetes, for example, or obesity, actually develop even before birth, long before birth, due to toxic exposures that we're getting while we're still in our mom's wombs. From conception on, babies are getting a lot more than our genes. Through what's called maternal fetal transfer, they are receiving a basically constant toxic streaming download of whatever the body burden of chemicals is that we've accumulated through our own lives and that we're exposed to in pregnancy. So interestingly, pregnancy itself increases the mobilization of a number of stored chemicals, including heavy metals, toxins, things that we pick up from pesticides and herbicides that we store in our fat. And so, for example, when you're pregnant, you have more turnover of your bone. You get more bone breakdown because you're releasing minerals that the baby needs. After pregnancy, you accumulate those again so it doesn't cause you to have bone damage or osteoporosis. But during pregnancy, this higher level of what's called bone turnover also liberates lead because where is lead stored? guess what? In our bones. And so for those of us who are in our 40s having babies, 
I'm not going to say us because I'm not having any more babies. I'm, I'm 49. I've got grandkids. I'm done. But for those of you who are, um, if you were born in the 60s and 70s, you would have been exposed to much more lead in the environment than, let's say, women now who are in their 20s and early 30s after there was aggressive campaigns to reduce lead in the environment. And these chemicals and these metals and these toxins cross the placenta and get to the baby. It's documented that a mom's stores of common fat-soluble environmental chemicals, including chemicals that aren't even used in the environment anymore, like PCBs. And I'll tell you, studies of our human population in the United States, blood samples show that we all, we all have PCBs, even though these haven't been used in the environment in a few decades. Dioxins, which are common in um, anything that's bleached, bleaching paper, even sanitary products that women use. Uh, if they're not organic, those have been treated with dioxins. All of these are picked up by our fat and stored in our fat, and then they're released during pregnancy, and they can expose your baby to harm. A very recent study found that pregnant women and our fetuses are being exposed to triclosan and its cousin triclocarbon, both of which are endocrine disruptors, and they are in antibacterial soaps, toothpastes, and over 2,000 other consumer products, common ones. And a 2009 study by the Environmental Working Group found 232 toxic chemicals already in the umbilical cord blood of newborns. So endocrine disruptors, what that means is they're hormones that mimic our hormones in our body and disrupt the way our normal hormones would function, or it's as if you amped up the volume on our normal hormones with these endocrine disruptors because they tend to be as strong or stronger than our normal hormones, and then we're picking them up in larger volumes than we should have. And these endocrine disruptors, which are rampant in the environment, can have a major impact on developing fetuses, particularly sexual differentiation and development. And we know that the rates of birth defects of the sexual organs of babies, particularly boys, have increased dramatically in the past decade. And every single one of the women tested in that particular study had triclosan in their bodies, and half of the newborns tested also had been exposed to it. And I've actually tested a number of my own patients in my own practice for this chemical, not so much just for pregnancy testing. I don't usually test it for that. But when I've had women who have come into my practice for things like polycystic ovarian syndrome, difficulty losing weight, endometriosis, I check because these chemicals can have an impact on the normal functioning of hormones and of the immune system, all of which those conditions are related to. And every woman I've checked in my practice for this chemical has been positive for it. So pregnancy basically turns the generally sort of inactive pool of toxins that are stored in our bodies, and sometimes they're not inactive, into a risk for our babies long after our own toxic exposure has ended. And it can concentrate chemicals in our babies when there's ongoing exposure. So it appears that these consequences in development at the time of exposure have the potential to set off a number of genetic and metabolic events in our kids that continue to pay forward throughout their lives. And we know that the earlier the exposure in pregnancy, the greater the number of, number of, and the greater the impact of these harmful exposures have on our baby's development. So I'm so sorry to be scary. It's scary stuff. Sometimes I think, I wish I didn't know it. And sometimes I struggle with whether to say it, but I'm a mom. I have four kids. I have two grandkids. I would have been very angry if I knew that somebody who was my friend or my doctor knew this information and didn't share it with me. So that's why I'm sharing it because it's what I would also want to know. So the question then becomes, well, should you detoxify before you get pregnant? Well, there are a couple of things to think about in addition. One is the rates of infertility that women are facing. In the United States right now, at least 12% of women 
is experiencing difficulty getting pregnant. It's about one in eight or so actually that seeks a fertility consultation for difficulty getting pregnant. And that trend actually increased 40% between 1982 and 2002. It seems to have leveled off to some extent, but it's still quite high. And there's absolutely no disagreement that the role of endocrine disruptors from the environment is having an impact on fertility. The jury is in on that, and we know that they do cause problems. Additionally, we know that these chemicals, whether it be the endocrine disruptors, heavy metals, or other environmental toxins, create an underlying state of inflammation in us when we're exposed to them and when they're triggering our own immune system and hormone systems. We also know that when we're under chronic inflammation during pregnancy, that increases our risks of gestational diabetes, pregnancy-induced high blood pressure, preeclampsia, prematurity, and low birth weight for our babies. All of these increase problems for us during labor, increase our cesarean section rate, and increase problems for our babies. Additionally, chronic inflammation predisposes us to prenatal depression, postpartum depression, and many of these toxins and heavy metals can bind to and interfere with the functioning of our thyroid. Normal thyroid function during pregnancy is critical for our baby's proper brain and intellectual development, their growth, and also critical for prevention of prenatal and postpartum depression and other postpartum problems like inability to lose weight, having enough energy to take care of our babies. And all of this does have a trigger in these environmental exposures. So yes, important to think about Another really important statistic, and I think this is what kind of tipped me over the edge from being on the fence of whether women should really think about doing a pre-pregnancy detox, and that is a 2006 article that came out in the Maternal Child Health Journal, which identified blood levels of lead, mercury, and PCBs, as well as other toxins in the blood of um, women of childbearing age. And what this study found out was that most women, actually the highest proportion of women in the study, something like 38% of the women in this study actually had all three of those as contaminants in them. And These exposures, this study demonstrated, when they're high three to four months prior to conception can have an impact on prenatal health and health for our baby. So this was a study by Thompson et al. And it's pretty significant. And this really showed me just how great a potential impact these exposures can have on us and how prevalent they are. So what I do now is I kind of have a three-phase plan that I work with with all pregnant women. And that's who come to me. And that's what I'd like to talk with you about today is kind of what you can do. And the plan has kind of a a break-off point. And so I'll explain this to you. So basically, what I recommend women do before conception. Now, here's the tricky part. 40% of pregnancies in the United States are unplanned. And that's not just busy teenagers. That's even women in their 20s, 30s, 40s who are, you know, married, have kids. It just happens. And so sometimes you can't do this awesome preconception planning. So this is the ideal. If you can't, there are still a lot of things you can do. If you're if you're already pregnant, there are still a lot of things you can do to reduce your risk. And remember, I mean, human beings are incredibly resilient. We're talking about optimizing health here and reducing risk. It's not that every child born because mom has an exposure is going to have a problem, but we really want to maximize, and we do know the rates of these long-term health problems for our kids, and even the short-term ones like allergies, eczema, and asthma, things they have when they're really young, has increased exponentially, like 30% increases in these conditions. So 
ideally, when someone is coming to me for fertility counseling, they've had trouble getting pregnant, they want a preconception plan, I say, let's suspend trying to get pregnant for six months. And let's work on optimizing all of your detoxification systems. And ideally, if you can't do six months, three months. And the one thing is that six months gives you an ample amount of time if you need to do more aggressive detoxification. And I'll talk about who does and doesn't need to do that usually. If you need to do more aggressive detoxification where you're actually reducing your load by doing things that take the metals out of your body, for example, if it's heavy metals, or you're doing things to liberate these chemicals and toxins so you can eliminate them, then those chemicals and toxins are circulating in your body, possibly even at a higher amount than if they were just stored. So you want to be careful doing that because if you do get pregnant during that time, then theoretically baby's getting an even higher load of them. So usually what I say is at least three months before to try to sort of be finished with any aggressive or active detox. And then during the three months before you get pregnant, really focusing on just building up your body's natural detoxification support systems. And that's what I'm going to focus on today. Now, you never want to do a detoxification program while you're pregnant, because as I said, you don't want to liberate these chemicals and toxins and metals from stored sites in your body any more than pregnancy normally is going to do. So everything I'm going to tell you today, you can do during your pregnancy, unless there's an exception, and I'll let you know that. Now, some women want to know whether they should get testing before pregnancy, and that's a really good question. So There are a lot of functional medicine tests that are available now for testing for a variety of different toxins. And whether to do prenatal testing to check for body burden, body burden is the term that means what is your overall load of toxic chemicals that you have actively and stored. The testing is done by a lot of integrative and functional medicine doctors. It's not standard conventional testing. Standard conventional testing for certain metals is available and is reliable, but it usually for things like arsenic and lead and mercury, but it usually only tests for toxic amounts, at which point you would be medically treated. What it doesn't test for is stored body burden, and it doesn't really test for amounts that are lower than would be considered technically toxic, but are still problematic. One of the problems that we've had between sort of the world of toxicology and the world of conventional medicine is what the dose is that determines harm. And historically in conventional medicine, we've said that you really have to be at a toxic dose to start to have problems. But when we're talking about problems, we're talking about things like really severe disease processes. We're not talking about sort of the subtle things that can go wrong on a day-to-day basis, things like thyroid problems, which isn't really that subtle, or chronic uh, fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia or headaches, the things that people from a conventional viewpoint don't associate with heavy metal toxicity. Usually they don't associate heavy metal toxicity until you're having things like nerve problems or cognitive problems or at risk for brain damage. So the numbers have to be too high to have value. You're already really, really, really sick. But there are these sort of more subtle levels that we know can cause symptoms or conditions like the ones I've mentioned. But what about when we get to even lower doses than that? How many of the problems that our kids are facing. For example, we know from long-term studies now that environmental toxins can cause problems like ADHD in our kids. So at what level do we start to say, well, okay, we're putting the numbers way too high before we diagnose a problem. And that's what the conventional testing can't really get to. Now, the functional medicine testing does assert that it can get to that, but there it's not entirely clear what numbers that you get as a result of those tests really tell you that you have a problem or that you should do something about it, or is that sort of just the level that we're all going to have because we're chronically exposed? What I can tell you is I have had numerous patients come to me 
with a variety of health problems ranging from rheumatoid arthritis to Hashimoto's to other autoimmune problems and particularly autoimmune problems as well as other endocrine problems, hormonal problems. And I have found that by helping to do things that reduce the body burden, those tests improve, the numbers go down of the heavy metals. And at the same time, I can watch the medical conditions resolve. So for example, I had one patient who had very, very high levels of mercury. This patient ate an enormous amount of fish, actually lived in the Philippines, and um, the primary protein was fish, and had rheumatoid arthritis with very high levels of autoimmune markers. As I worked with this patient on bringing down the mercury levels, the rheumatoid factors, the ANA, and the other markers of autoimmune disease also came down, and the patient had remarkable symptom improvement as well, and was able to cut back enormously and eventually go off of medication for the rheumatoid arthritis. I've seen this over and over, but that patient had a completely normal set of conventional labs. So here are some of the issues with the functional testing. One, it's very expensive. Two, you can't do it while you're pregnant, and I really don't recommend doing it within three months of getting pregnant because of two things. One, you have to take a medication that has the potential to have serious side effects and potentially be harmful. It's rare that it causes harm, but I would not recommend this medication within three months of pregnancy. And you have to take that medication for the test. This medication is a chelator, and it helps pull some of the metals and toxins out of the um, stored sites. Also, that's the second reason it's pulling these metals out and causing them to circulate. And even though you should eliminate them pretty quickly, I wouldn't want you to become pregnant within a few weeks of having done this test and, and really even within a few months. Additionally, it's unclear whether specific detoxification programs that are done within a few months of conception might mobilize more of these toxins into the bloodstream. So you have to really, really plan ahead. And in my opinion, be willing to prevent pregnancy if you're doing an active detoxification program, an active chelation program. Also, there's a lot of question about which detoxification methods are optimal. Different toxins require different, different elimination methods. So lead and mercury and other heavy metals each require their own elimination. Um, toxins like BPA and dioxin and endocrine disruptors, it's not even very clear how we can fully actively remove those. So what I recommend as a bottom line is that if you have a condition that suggests the possibility of an environmental toxicity, particularly symptoms of chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, or autoimmune conditions, a known toxin exposure or if you've been working in an environment that has a likely environmental exposure, that would be a good place to start working with an integrative functional medicine physician who can get you onto a program and then give yourself six months to detoxify, three months to do the specific elimination program, the specific chelation program, and then enough time to check and make sure you've cleared those toxins, and then another three months to do the program that I'm going to share with you today, which is more about supporting your own natural detoxification before you get pregnant. So phase one is something that we should really all be doing anyway, and this is reducing environmental exposures. It's something you should be doing, in my opinion, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but but I kind of want to tell you what to do so that you can really reduce the burden for kids that you already have and also for yourself so that you don't develop health problems as a result. So some basic things that you can do are review your cosmetic use. By the time most women walk out of the house in the morning after having taken a shower, done a shave if they're going to shave, put on their makeup, done their hair routine, they've already put on hundreds of chemicals. And many of those are known toxins. So we really want to review our toxic cosmetic and body product use. And our skin is a living organism. It's not like it just goes on our skin and stays there. We're absorbing a lot of what we're putting on our skin. So 
I highly recommend the Environmental Working Group. You're going to hear me mention them several times in this podcast. The Environmental Working Group is ewg.org, and they have a number of different resources that are going to help you make some of the changes that I'm talking about today. And one of those is a resource called Skin Deep, where you can look up your cosmetics and see how they're rated. And there are so many natural cosmetics on the market now that it's not too hard to find ones that are safer and also body products. One of my pals, Chris Carr over at chriscarr.com also does regular reviews of her favorite cosmetics and the ones that are most environmentally safe, most health friendly. So check out her website also. You want to also think about your home furnishings. And obviously you can't just overhaul all your furniture, but if you're planning to get pregnant, if you are a a young couple and you're first decorating your home, you're planning on decorating the nursery, if you're going to have a nursery for your baby, or if you're overhauling any furniture, this is a great time to think about things like carpeting. Uh, Most furnishing, unless it's said otherwise, is just rife with flame retardant. And flame retardant in carpet and furniture is not fixed. It actually gets liberated into the air and onto our skin as we're using it. So every time you sit on it, walk on it, it's releasing more chemicals. A lot of clothing for children, particularly sleepwear, is treated with flame retardant. We know these flame retardants act as carcinogens and endocrine disruptors. They disrupt our hormones. So you want to think about going to more environmentally friendly household furnishings and clothing whenever possible. And then also toxic household cleaners, things like antibacterial household products. And uh, again, the environmental working group in terms of household cleaners, fabulous for alternatives. And amazingly, things like vinegar, water, and baking soda can do a tremendous amount around your house just for cleaning, the kinds of things our grandmothers would have used, which are safe to use. So think about that. And I know this is a lot to think about at once, you know, it kind of reminds me of those TV commercials that used to be on, you know, for, for everything else, there's MasterCard, but for all these things in our life, they're priceless. It may feel like it's a lot of work up front, and it may feel like it even is a little bit more expensive up front. And I can honestly tell you, when I was raising my four kids, my husband was a school teacher. We lived on a school teacher's salary. I was a home birth midwife. This was before the days that midwifery was popular. So, you know, I did not get paid high amounts for birth. Sometimes I traded and bartered for bread and for bookshelves in my house. So I know that it can be done and I know that it can be done on a budget. It's harder. You have to do a little bit more research and homework. But can I tell you, as a doctor who is taking care of people who are really sick, who have not been able to get their health questions answered by the conventional medical community other than a medication, 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 who are struggling with kids who have autoimmune conditions who are struggling with kids who have asthma and are having repeated hospitalizations because they can't breathe, who are struggling with kids who have behavioral problems and are having trouble in school, or who they themselves, my women patients who are struggling with Hashimoto's, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, difficulty losing weight, all these things, that costs money and it takes time. And that's not something you can just put on MasterCard. So really the prevention is so worth it. Even if it costs a little more up front, even if it takes more time up front, it will not only add years to your life, but it will add life to your years. It will make a huge difference for you and your family and for your kids and their future. So those are some of the initial things you want to do. Body exposures through cosmetics, household exposures, but also you want to take a look at the medications you're using. Even seemingly safe, and I'm saying that with my air quotes, even seemingly safe medications like Tylenol used during pregnancy have been associated with increased problems for baby, including autism and ADD. So now is the time to try to find safe, effective alternatives that you can continue to take if you need to use during pregnancy. 
If you go over to my website, www.avivaram.com, you will find articles on alternatives for headache, for example, during pregnancy that can be used for other uh, aches and pains as well. And so take a hard look at your medications, antibiotic exposures during pregnancy, as many medication exposures as we can reduce during pregnancy. It's really important. Something like 40% of all women will be prescribed a narcotic by their doctor during pregnancy. Over 75% of women will take a pharmaceutical during pregnancy, and those are not all necessary prescriptions. So really be careful about what you're taking and be careful what you're self-medicating with because sometimes things we think are safe actually aren't. Also, we want to think about food exposures as part of what we're reducing our exposure to. When you're in that preconception phase, when you're thinking about getting pregnant and you're planning on getting pregnant, even if it's in the next year, this is a great time to start eating as if you're pregnant now. Because eating as if you're pregnant now, and this also counts if you're going through fertility treatment, if you're trying natural fertility, but even fertility drugs and other treatments, think about treating your body as if you're pregnant. What you wouldn't eat during pregnancy, don't consume it now. So all sushi, unless it's vegetarian, pretty much off the table. All high mercury fish, take them out of your diet. High mercury fish is one of the greatest reasons for mercury toxicity, mercury exposure, or or body burden that we have. A study done in the past few years looking at Asian women in New York City found that more than half of them were over the toxic level. So I'm not talking about sort of the integrative functional view of toxic level. I'm talking about the medical toxicology view of toxic level. They had over the body burden, and that was almost entirely, it was actually entirely attributed to high fish consumption in the diet. It is that significant. So you want to reduce all high mercury fish. How do you do that? I'm going to give you a few resources. One is the environmental working group. Another is the NRDC, the Natural Resources Defense Council. And another is the Monterey Bay Aquarium. All three of those um, resources have printable lists of which fish are high mercury and which fish are low mercury. Now, according to the obstetrics world and the pediatrics world, it's okay for pregnant women to eat fish a couple of times a week and to eat tuna once a week. I heartily disagree. Pregnant women, in my opinion, really should not eat tuna at all. It's On the high mercury list, there are some kinds of tuna that may be lower, but in general, it's very hard to know what kind of tuna you're really getting despite what's on the label. I would not trust it. And, you know, there are things that people were saying in the 1960s, for example, Rachel Carson, that were entirely dismissed. I feel confident that the things I'm saying in another 5, 10, 20 years are going to be common knowledge because this is this has been obvious in the medical toxicology world for decades now. We've just been ignoring it in the medical world. We've been dismissing it. And you're not going to hear this from your doctor. And honestly, I feel like it's much better to be conservative. Now, low mercury fish, fish in general, very high in protein, very high in essential fat. So it's a great source of nutrition but stick to the low mercury fish and keep it to maybe once or twice a week of the low mercury fish and then supplement with an essential fatty acid, supplement with a fish oil. The companies that are out there on the market are very reliable. The couple of companies that I think are the most reliable that I tend to use in my practice are Nordic Naturals and Carlson. I do not have any investment or conflict of interest with those companies. Those are the ones that I recommend pregnant women to use, which is why I'm telling you that. I'm sure there are other great companies out there, but they are checking for heavy metals. Now, it's not just heavy metals in fish that are our problem. Our oceans are rife with PCBs. And particularly farm-raised fish is a problem with PCBs. So that's something else that you want to think about is another reason to reduce your fish consumption. Uh, You want to avoid all raw fish, raw meat, and unpasteurized dairy when you're pregnant. Not so much because of direct toxicity uh, from the environment at all, but because of toxoplasmosis, 
which is an organism. It's a microorganism which can cause significant problems. I know raw dairy can be fabulous for health, but not during pregnancy. Please get pasteurized dairy during pregnancy. Even if you're raising your own goats or sheep or cows, I still strongly recommend that. Caffeine, over 250 milligrams of caffeine per day is considered too much. If you're brewing your coffee at home, probably half a cup a day is going to be fine. I recommend no coffee during pregnancy. I recommend no coffee if you're having trouble getting pregnant. I'm not opposed to coffee. It has a lot of health benefits. But when you're trying to get pregnant and you're having trouble, there can be some issues that it can interfere with. And also we know that it can cause increased risk of miscarriage over 250 milligrams a day. A Starbucks regular coffee is going to exceed 250 milligrams a day. I'm sure Starbucks is not the only one that does that. So I would say avoid it in general. A couple of other things that you want to avoid as if you're pregnant now, even if you're not, and certainly you don't want to be using any of these if you are pregnant already, large amounts of rice and any concentrated rice products like rice syrup, because there's an arsenic risk. The arsenic risk was first discovered a few years ago, and it was actually discovered in pregnant women who had been consuming products that had large amounts of concentrated rice products in them. A lot of energy bars, a lot of granola bars, and other products that say no sugar or low sugar have rice syrup. And that's one of the most concentrated rice products. So you want to avoid that. It doesn't mean you can't eat rice, but there are so many other wonderful grains that you can eat from quinoa to millet to buckwheat, some of which are truly grains, some of which are seeds that I would keep rice kind of on the level of fish, you know, once or twice a week and small amounts. And again, none of the concentrated rice products. And then of course, alcohol. Um, it doesn't mean you have to avoid all alcohol when you are preconception before you get pregnant, but certainly once you do get pregnant, all alcohol, uh, I recommend off the table. Now it's important to realize that it's not just the foods that we eat, it's what's in them. And our foods have a lot of what's called toxicants. Toxicants include pesticides, herbicides, the PCBs I mentioned, heavy metals, but also plasticizers that come from food packaging like BPA, and also Teflon and other nonstick surfaces in our pans or cooking pots. These act as endocrine disruptors, neurotoxins, obesogens means that just by getting exposed to these and them ending up in our fat cells, they can actually cause diabetes and obesity, carcinogens, meaning they can cause cancer and immunotoxins. Some of these actually affect the formation, development, and shape of the actual immune cells and the responsiveness of the immune system. And many of these cause chronic inflammation, having an impact on how our immune systems respond. The good news is that in studies looking at kids, when you go organic in just one week, you can get a large washout of these chemicals from your system. So you clean them out of your body, at least in kids. What I recommend is that as much as you can go organic. Now, I know that that can get expensive, what I recommend again is the environmental working group, look at their clean 15 and their dirty dozen. The clean 15 are the pro is the produce that's the least likely to be heavily contaminated. And so those you can eat comfortably without worrying about the expense of organic. The dirty dozen, however, are the ones that are most likely to be herbicided and pesticided. And those are the ones that unless you can eat them organic, really just take them out of the diet. There's plenty of variety of fruits and vegetables out there that you, you actually can avoid those. And then if you do want to have them occasionally, have them organic. You want to make sure that you are not cooking or storing your food in plastic containers. So you can go to places like Target, Walmart, your local supermarket, your local pharmacy, you know, the larger chain drug stores. Most of these will have glass and stainless steel storage containers. Yes, they might be a little more expensive, but they last indefinitely. Most of the glass ones you can heat your food up in, you can store hot and cold in. Fabulous alternative to plastic. And then think about your things like water bottles. 
get a glass or stainless steel water bottle. I only use uh, glass or stainless steel for my drinking water. I don't drink out of plastic. I have something called a Life Factory water bottle. I've had the same Life Factory water bottle for, I want to say, seven or eight years now. I've dropped that thing on the sidewalk twice. I love these. I've bought them for my kids, my husband, my grandkids. They're great. And so you can buy it once. It can last forever. And then the stainless steel ones are less expensive. You can get those online. You can find them at sporting goods stores. Really important because we are actually leaching plasticizers into our drinking water and really important to avoid that. A couple more things you want to think about, particularly for reducing inflammation in your body, is getting to a healthy body weight for your body size. That doesn't mean you have to be a skinny mini. It's really about getting to a BMI, body mass index, that's somewhere between 20 and 24 ideally. Now, if you're significantly over that and you can look online and do a body mass index calculator, and it's just going to be a measurement of your height and your weight. There's a mathematical equation that you can just plug your height and your weight into, and it'll give you your BMI. Anything over 24.5 is considered overweight. We know that going into pregnancy overweight can cause problems. It increases your inflammation in general. Now, I don't want you to obviously go crazy losing weight, but if you can get as close to that 24.5 as possible, great. If you're significantly over that, if you're over 30, when you do this body mass index calculator, just Google BMI calculator, you'll find it. Then you want to work with an integrative or functional medicine doctor or your primary care doctor or a really good functional nutritionist before you get pregnant. And you want to give yourself a good six months to get to a healthy body weight. And then you want to also make sure to stay that way during pregnancy by eating really healthy. I'm not going to talk about prenatal nutrition during this podcast, but I will do a future podcast on that for you. And then if you have a lot of symptoms, you know, you get headaches a lot, you have digestive problems and bloating, you have joint pain, you have any sort of chronic health symptoms, you want to think about doing an elimination diet because sometimes it's just the actual healthy foods or, you know, foods that should be healthy to most people that are a trigger for you for whatever reason. Or you may have problems like gluten intolerance or even celiac that's never been detected, which can cause increased fertility problems and increased problems during pregnancy and postpartum or other food intolerances. An elimination diet is a really inexpensive very straightforward way to figure out what is a food trigger for you. You actually can do that while you're pregnant, if you're already pregnant and you're having a lot of symptoms, but ideally do it before pregnancy. And you can just go to my website to find out information on an elimination diet and how to do that. Okay. So phase two is replacing. So phase one was removing and reducing. Phase two is replacing. And here's where you want to replace your nutrients that you might be low in. Pregnant women, so as women, we are very commonly low in a number of vitamins and minerals as well as protein. So pregnant women are almost across the board receiving low amounts of protein, B6, vitamin E, vitamin D, folate or folic acid, essential fatty acids, iron, iodine, calcium, zinc, and magnesium. A lot of our culture is overfed and undernourished, and it's really important to bump up these nutrients, particularly because these nutrients are some of the most fundamental nutrients that our bodies need for natural detoxification processes. So every day, your body is doing a whole host of detoxification processes. And these are happening in your liver, they're happening in your digestive system, and then your body is eliminating these broken down toxins through your stool, through your urine, and through your sweat. The most important detoxification that's happening is in the liver. And the liver goes through what's called phase one and phase two detoxification. And guess what the primary nutrients are for phase one and phase two detoxification? Many of the ones that I've just mentioned. And you also need ample protein to carry these detoxification um, uh, 
nutrients through the body and to form the enzymes that make these detoxification processes happen. So just by boosting your nutrition, which is actually phase three, boosting detoxification, by boosting your nutrition, you're pushing yourself right into phase three, which is boosting detoxification. So you can get most of these nutrients through your foods and through a prenatal vitamin. And prenatal vitamins while they're not absolutely necessary if you're eating an optimal diet, most of us actually aren't. And women who get a prenatal vitamin actually have lower rates of prenatal problems and better outcomes with their births, healthier, better nourished full-term babies, and are less likely to develop postpartum depression too. So I do recommend getting a food-based, ideally organic-based prenatal vitamin. There are many on the market. And any one that you tolerate is great. It can be really hard for some women to tolerate prenatal vitamins. They can make you feel nauseated. So don't take it first thing in the morning. Don't take it with breakfast even. Take it midday with your midday meal or take it with your afternoon snack. It's much easier to tolerate that way. I don't recommend taking it in the evening because some of the B vitamins can actually be stimulating and make it harder to go to sleep later. So to boost detoxification, the first and most important thing is actually elimination. So I mentioned that detoxification is happening in your liver and it's also happening in your gut. A few things are happening in your gut that are really important. One is if you're not pooping every day, that is keeping those toxins in your body. Not only does it keep them in your body, but it causes them to recirculate in even more toxic forms. So your body's supposed to get rid of what your liver breaks down. So your liver does this whole phase one and phase two. It packages up the toxins and sends most of them onto your intestines for elimination through your stool. Some of them get eliminated through your urine too, but most of them are going to get eliminated by your daily bowel movement. If you're not having a daily bowel movement, what happens is these broken down packages of toxins just kind of sit in your intestine and they get reabsorbed. That's not good. So you want to make sure you're having at least one healthy bowel movement a day. Healthy means that it's soft, it's easy to pass, but it's not loose. It's just a good healthy bowel movement, a good poop. And um, the things that are going to help you do that the best are fiber from a variety of leafy greens and high fiber vegetables. Uh, a probiotic, particularly that has lactobacillus and bifidobacteria species in them. And then um, you can use things like flax seeds and chia seeds. Just make sure you're drinking plenty of water because those bulk fibers need plenty of water to help everything move through your system. And if you're still not pooping on a regular basis every day, you want to think about maybe adding in some magnesium citrate, particularly before bed. If you go over to my website, you'll find a blog on magnesium. And if you look in the podcasts, um, you'll also find a podcast on magnesium if you'd rather listen. And in that, there are instructions for how to use magnesium to help you have a healthy daily BM. And those instructions are safe to use while you're pregnant too. And then you want to think about foods that actually support detoxification, that boost those processes in your liver. And these, I'm going to give you my eight top detoxification foods, and I'm going to just tell you if any of them aren't okay when you do get pregnant. So dark leafy green vegetables, broccoli, collards, kale, Brussels sprouts, uh, bok choy, Napa cabbage, all really, really important for detoxification. One, they're high in fiber, and so they keep your bowels moving really well. But two, they contain chemicals called indols, and those indols or isothiocyanates help with the actual detoxification processes in the liver. So a couple of cups of dark leafy green vegetables every day, cooked, sauteed, steamed, fantastic. You can put them in your juice as well, but I really recommend eating them as a better form of getting them in a very usable form. So dark leafy greens, indispensable, should be a part of your everyday diet. Number two is berries, purple grapes, and pomegranate. Also walnuts. They're all rich in something called elagic acid. Elagic acid upregulates or bumps up the activity of that phase two detoxification. So it helps bind those toxins into nice, neat packages that are 
safer for your body that can then be eliminated and excreted by your intestines, etc. They also protect your liver. So some portion of any or all of those every day. Purple grapes are much higher in sugar than berries and pomegranate. You can do a couple of ounces of pomegranate juice in sparkling water as a really nice beverage. It's the only juice I recommend. You can do pomegranate juice concentrate, which is really nice. You can do about one half to one cup of berries every day. Even if you're watching your sugar, you can make those your daily sugar portion and super, super high in these antioxidant chemicals. Purple grapes are also fabulous. Notice I'm not saying green grapes, it's the purple grapes, but those are much higher in sugar and about a half a cup or a nice chunky handful of walnuts every day if you're not allergic to nuts. Also fabulous. Number three is fiber. I mentioned fiber already, but soluble fiber not only actually keeps your bowels moving, but the fiber itself helps to bind toxins in your gastrointestinal tract. Good fiber also acts as a prebiotic, which means that it feeds the healthy bacteria that help break down those environmental estrogens, those environmental chemicals that I mentioned are hormone disruptors. So super important. Number four is a probiotic. So I mentioned the health of the probiotic for uh, elimination, but having the right flora species in your intestines helps to detoxify some of those environmental hormones that I mentioned. And again, it's the lactobacillus and bifidobacteria strains, typically in a range of two to 10 billion colony forming units per day. And that's not really a food. It's a supplement when you're taking it as a probiotic, but you can also get fermented foods in your diet. So lacto-fermented sauerkraut, kimchi, uh, if you eat soy, miso is a good fermented soy product kefir and yogurt if you eat dairy. You just want to make sure that none of these products are pasteurized. If they're pasteurized, the good bugs have been killed off. So you want to make sure they're lacto-fermented, non-pasteurized. Now, kombucha is not lacto-fermented. So if you enjoy it, fine. I don't recommend it during pregnancy, but it's not a fermented food that I consider one that's going to be helpful for your gut. Now, turmeric is a wonderful seasoning. It's also a powerful antioxidant and an anti-inflammatory that improves liver detoxification. You can add turmeric about two teaspoons to one tablespoon to a smoothie. You can cook with it. Or if you're struggling with any of the conditions or symptoms that I mentioned might suggest that you want to actually do more of a deliberate detoxification, you can take um, curcumin from 500 milligrams to 1000 milligrams twice a day. Or even if you think you're struggling with a little bit of inflammation or you're trying to get pregnant, this is a great time. You just stop taking it when you think you've conceived. The next one is B vitamins. Now, if you're taking a prenatal vitamin, you're going to get B vitamins in your multivitamin, but rich dietary sources of B vitamins include eggs, poultry, green leafy vegetables, legumes like lentils. And these are all important to contribute what are called methyl groups, which are necessary for detoxification in the liver. Now, some of you may have heard of something called MTHFR. MTHFR relates to a gene that we all have, but some of us have a change in it or a SNP, a single nucleotide polymorphism that makes it hard for us to properly use folate and folic acid. I'm going to do another podcast on this. I'm not going to get into the nuances of this right now, but I do recommend that either you get tested for MTHFR, your primary care doctor can do it, a naturopath, an integrative doctor can test this for you, or you can go to LabCorp or Quest or get some of the home testing. And if you have one of the changes, you get onto methylfolate. It's not the same as folic acid or folate. It's a slightly more bioavailable form. It's easier for your body to use. If you don't have resources to get tested or access to testing, then just go ahead and make sure that you're supplementing with methylfolate. And the dose for most of us is 800 
micrograms a day. If you've already had a child who's struggling with ADHD, is on the autistic spectrum, you make, or if you've had a history of miscarriages or pregnancy problems, particularly high blood pressure or preeclampsia, then for you, I would take up to two milligrams a day of the methylfolate as a daily dose and continue that through pregnancy and basically forever, at least at the 800 microgram range. It's very important for protecting later, um, protecting you from later heart disease. Now, if you have a lot of history of exposure to heavy metals, one of the things I didn't mention was a lot of mercury amalgam fillings. If you're old enough to have a lot of mercury amalgam fillings, if you're going to get them removed, I recommend waiting at least six months, preferably a year after removal to get pregnant. I don't recommend everyone getting them removed. I really usually only do that as a, a last resource if someone has a lot of serious medical problems and has high mercury. But we do know that mercury can circulate, can cause problems. One of the things that you can do, and we can all do this, is to include sea vegetables. Dulse and kelp are some of the examples of that. And also algae, particularly chlorella in our diet. These contain um, polysaccharides or plant sugars, which bind heavy metals and other toxins and help to facilitate their elimination. It's also been proposed that chlorella may help with the increased elimination of PCBs, chlorinated hydrocarbons, including dioxin. So you can include sea vegetables in your daily diet. Please get them from good sources. So for example, Larch Hansen, Maine Coast seaweed is a great source. He's very mindful of harvesting from seawaters that are lower in heavy metals. And he's very mindful of his own environmental practices in, in his harvesting. There are other companies. What you don't want is any sea vegetables that are coming from Japanese seawater sources, which is a lot of what you're going to find in the packaged seaweeds at the major health food stores. So be careful of those and don't include those. In general, culinary herbs, so cooking with things like rosemary, cilantro, oregano, thyme, all of these culinary herbs help improve detoxification in the liver. Garlic and onions, especially important. They, are, they all contain phenols and sulfur compounds that help enhance detoxification. I want to kind of start to wind down because I know this is a lot of information. You can also find this information largely written out for you in my blog over at my website, www.avivaram.com because I know it's hard to remember this. And of course, you can listen as many times as you want and take notes. There are some supplements that are considered especially beneficial that you can take while you're trying to get pregnant that can help eliminate heavy metals improve your body's detoxification and help reduce your body burden of these environmental toxins. A few of these are branched chain amino acids. They help to bind and transport toxins from the body. N-acetylcysteine or NAC, C as in Charles, and glutathione, which help to transform toxic forms of chemicals into forms that are more excretable and less toxic in the liver. I mentioned B-complex, also bioflavonoids. Those are um, beneficial for helping with that detoxification. And then specific herbs. I mentioned curcumin from turmeric, but also green tea extract. And then broccoli extracts, including indole-3-carbonyl, DIM, D-I-M, and sulforaphanes, which are what's in those green vegetables that make them so important for detoxification. And finally, milk thistle and artichoke. I'm not going to get into all the dosing of those. What you're going to find on my website starting around March, April of this year, if you're listening later than when this is released, uh, they may already be up there. But March, April of 2016, there's going to be a whole section of my website called Natural Medicines Library, where I'm going to be giving you a two-minute kind of overview of most of the supplements that I talk about in my podcast and blog. So you can learn more about how to use these individually and also um, the dosing. You can also go to the Office of Dietary Supplements, the ODS, 
which is a federal government site, they have great resources on many, many of the individual supplements and herbs that I talk about and talk to you about the safety, the benefits, and the dosing of those. So I use that site all the time for my own research. So the future is in our hands. The possibilities are in yours. Your body is brilliantly designed to support a wonderful, healthy pregnancy and to help you detoxify. The challenge that we're all facing is that we are living in a time where there's sort of an evolutionary mismatch between the level of exposures we're getting and what our bodies were expecting to do. You know, 20, 30 years ago, even, we weren't exposed to sort of the overwhelm of environmental exposures we're getting now. And certainly our great-grandparents and our grandparents were not. And so the challenge for us is to sort of bump up the game a little bit in what we're doing to support ourselves. You can totally do it. The information I gave you today is going to help you get started on planning for a healthy pregnancy. If you are pregnant, you can do the nutritional support that I talked about. You can eliminate the exposures that you might be getting in your environment and support yourself and your baby going forward. Thank you for listening. If you found this helpful, if you think that this is something that other women should or would want to hear about, please remember to drop a review on iTunes so that they get the love and they bump it up for other women to see. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.